Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. He's breaking it down, so you don't have to. This is Breaking It Down with Frank McKay on 1071 WLIRFM Hampton Bays. I'd like to welcome everyone to Breaking It Down. Frank McKay here. So much more importantly, wonderful filmmakers, and uh, these guys are absolutely terrific. Uh, the Big Con is is the name. It's on Apple TV. You must must see it. These guys are so talented. We'll talk about their their credits later, but right now let's talk about this. It is a must watch, and our our, our two very special guests are Brian Lazarte and James Lee Hernandez, and they are the directors. And these guys are just uh, absolutely fantastic. Fantastic, and they're riding high. Guys, how are you? Fantastic. Uh, good morning. Thanks for having us. Uh, good morning, guys. Brian, let me start with you. Uh, give us a little rundown of, of the big con. And, uh, you know, you're getting rave reviews from anybody who's who's gotten a peek. Uh, but give us, uh, without spoiling, of course, but give us a, give us a little rundown. <laughs> Happy to. So uh, the big con is about uh, Eric C. Khan. And yes, you heard that right. Uh, his last name is Khan. And he pulls off the largest Social Security con uh, in history, um, over $550 million. Um, he does this in eastern Kentucky, this small region of the country that's, you know, the backdrop of coal country. And he gets away with this insane crime uh, with judges on the payroll, doctors on the payroll, driving Bentleys and, and Rolls Royces when everyone else is struggling to make ends meet um, for over 10 years. And after 10 years, uh, with the help of these in, you know, insanely incredible characters who are whistleblowers, um, uh, helped get him busted. And of course, once he gets busted, uh, in true Hollywood fashion, he goes on the run. Wow, uh, uh, unbelievable, James. Let me turn to you. Uh, how how intrigued were you when you first heard about this, and how long did it take you before you guys said, "You know what? Uh, let's dive in uh, head first Because you guys are diving in uh, head first, and you created something great here. Uh, James, uh, what was your initial reaction to hearing the story? Oh well, it's it's mind blowing. I mean, on the surface, when we first heard about it, uh, we were at the talent of making McMillions, and um, a, a friend of ours that we worked with on that, that's also an executive producer on the Big Con, Peter King, was describing this this att- attorney from a small town that you know not only was he getting people tons of money, but he also bought out every billboard in this small town and put his face all over the place basically making him uh, as famous as the president in this area. He was buying Rolls Royces and houses, cash, you know, millions of dollars of cash and you know, flying around the world, basically trying to turn himself into James Bond. Um, but then underlying underneath that was a very serious problem that we have with, within Social Security. And uh, a lot of people were you know, becoming victims of this entire thing. I mean, basically... 
anybody who pays taxes was victimized by Eric C. Khan and the people that he had working on his payroll. Brian, was was there anything in his past, was there anything in his history that would indicate that Eric could kind of pull something like this off? I mean, it's, it takes a special individual to do something this massive. Uh, there are a number of things uh, in his past, and we get into it uh, in the documentary series. We even uh, get into it further in the companion podcast uh, that comes out uh, along with the series uh, tomorrow, May 6th, um, on Apple TV+. Plus. So I think you'll come to discover this is a really complex and fascinating character. I mean, if, 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 if you've watched the show uh, Better Call Saul, he, he's very much like the real-life Saul Goodman. Um, and, you know, there's, there's porn stars and voodoo dolls and whistleblowers and Wall Street Journal reporters and federal investigators and brothels in Thailand. It's, it's one of those outlandish, stranger-than-fiction stories that is uh, truly zany and, and hilarious, but equal part tragedy. Uh, James, if, again, we don't want you to spoil. We want people to watch and we want people to listen to the companion (laughs) podcast, of course. But, James, uh, did uh, did Eric Kahn have any idea that it could get this big? Uh, I, you know... I, we assume he dreamt big, but I mean, what you're talking about, the, the massive size of this, uh, this hall, uh, how, how close to what he planned was the reality that happened? The interesting thing about this is, uh, is that part of the plan that worked was that Eric always wanted to be a big shot. He grew up in this really small coal mining town that he saw go from being one of the wealthiest places in the country to being totally decimated by the fact that coal just it, it isn't being pulled out of the mountains anymore. And so he always had the dreams of being the 007 James Bond guy that could wear fancy suits and fly anywhere and do whatever he wanted. So he started making money, but it definitely is something that Brian and I have found with doing some of these fraud stories is that you know, sometimes greed gets the best of you, and you are always thinking like, "Oh, I'm just going to do it a little bit," and then you get away with it, and then you're like, "Okay, well, then let me expand it, and let me do a little bit more," and then you get away with it more. And sooner or later, you know, multiple years go by, and then you've created this huge machine that you just can't stop. You have the golden handcuffs on, and uh, usually, the time that they know it's time to stop is about the time that federal investigators get involved. Let me just remind folks that are tuning in a little late. Uh, the Big Con is our subject, and it, it is a, a must-watch. Uh, Apple TV is the place to go, and there's a companion podcast uh, that is a must-listen to. And uh, it's from the directors of McMillions. And if anyone uh, has, uh, hasn't seen that, you're missing out. It's a tremendous, tremendous story. But these guys are very, very talented guys. Uh, and, and, Brian, let me give you the, the final word here. Uh, anything that we didn't touch on? with the big con that uh, people should know before they tune in or that will help them want to tune in, please give us here anything else that you guys uh, would like to add. And before you go, make sure you give us uh, your social media um, contacts or or website contacts. And, and of course, Apple TV is where we'll be tuning in. Uh, Brian, shoot. Sure, I'll, I'll let James do the uh, the social media contact. But when um, when I think people are going to be shocked 
right? Like, as James said, if you pay taxes, which uh, most people do here in the States, uh, you pay into the safety net. Uh, of Social Security. And I think a lot of people just think of it as like, old, you know, when you get old or to you know, help you out after you retire. But there's actually a huge portion of this fund. I mean, this is government spending, right, that goes towards disability benefits, like people who are get injured and are, are for whatever reason, are unable to work. And it is just chock full of insane stories. And there's, as we said before, there's, you know, there's humor and tragedy in this. Uh, and it's jam-packed. It's only four. It's only four episodes, um, and it really could be a lot more. But we just wanted to pack it full with uh, insane detail. So we're we're excited to to bring this to life with Apple TV Plus. Uh, James, the socials and the places the places you can find us. Uh, Fun Meter Official on Instagram is uh, that's our production company, and we have a lot of details there. I'm easy to find. Just look up James Lee Hernandez on anything social. Same thing with. Brian Lazarte and uh, the Big Cons on Apple TV Plus. It comes out tomorrow, May 6th. And the Companion Podcast also comes out tomorrow, and it's released one episode a week for the next six weeks. Uh, Brian and James, congratulations on all your success. You guys are absolutely terrific. Thank you very much for being here. Well, thanks for all the kind words. The Big yeah, Con. Thank you so much. Yeah, thank you guys. The Big Con is a must watch, everyone. Apple TV, these guys are brilliant filmmakers. I mean, if you didn't see McMillions, um, uh, you, you must. Uh, but, but check out The Big Con in real time now. And the Companion podcast uh, is, uh, is a must watch. And again, Brian. Lazarte and James Lee, these guys are, uh, you know, certainly on the on the rise. But um, they, you know, hey, listen, they're they're already. I mean, they're the Emmy nominated and Grammy nominated, uh, just uh, very talented individuals. It is absolutely great to uh, uh, to be kind of uh, you know ahead of the game here. The Big Con is gonna is something that's going to be talked about for a while. We urge everyone to check it out. And again. The Big Con is the name of it. It's a uh, you know limited series. And Frank McKay signing off. We'll see you all next time on Breaking It Down. He's breaking it down so you don't have to. This is Breaking It Down with Frank McKay on 1071 WLIRFM Hampton Bays. I'd like to welcome everyone to Breaking It Down. Frank McKay here with uh, just a journalist who's in a class by himself when it comes to true crime. To me, he's the best in the business, without question. Uh, his podcast, Motive for Murder, is the best I've ever heard of the genre, and it is it's number wow. one. It's absolutely great. And, of course, you know his work from, from Dateline, NBC, which is in its 29th season. 29 season. I mean, just it's it just unbelievable. Uh, Josh Mankiewicz is our very special guest, and I'm absolutely thrilled to have him. Josh, how are you? I'm good. Thanks for having me. You know what? 29 years in TV, you know, that doesn't happen. No. Um, we're the longest-running program on the uh, primetime program on NBC. I mean, I joined here 25 years ago. I sure didn't see this coming. Yeah, I mean, when do you realize at what's the what's the break off point? Like when you get to ten years, are you like, wow, when is this going to end? When you get to fifteen, are you thinking this is never going to end? What 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 happens? And when in your mind was was the pivot point? What year did did you realize yeah, we, we have gold here? Doing, we, we started doing crime about two thousand five, 
and that's about 15 years ago. And you could tell right away that the audience was responding to that. And so we started doing more of that. And then, like, I really noticed that, that, that suddenly, like, people were coming up to me at airports and asking me about specific cases that I covered. And that hadn't happened before, even though I'd been at Dateline 10 years at that point. So that sort of is when I realized that, like, we were on to something and we needed to continue doing it. When you look back, obviously, the, you know, you could, you know, go to, uh, you know, the OJ um, case and, and that stands out as the, the crime of the century and everything else. But what what stands out to you as something that you were surprised didn't take off, something that you found intriguing, but for some reason the audience didn't catch on to it? Huh, stories that I didn't think, I mean, look. We've all covered stories that I thought were going to do better than they ended up doing. I mean, I've been covering crime stories a long time. You know, I was Long Island correspondent for Channel 2 back in the 80s. And I covered crime stories, you know, Matthew and Lisa Shepard in Huntington. um, You know, uh, 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 William Fisher. A lot of stuff. I left right before uh, uh, Amy Fisher and Joey Buttafuoco. I got moved into Manhattan at that point. But... uh, you know, I mean, we've all covered crime stories for a really long time. Um, and there's always been tremendous interest in them. So, I mean, in, in a way, maybe I shouldn't have been surprised that Dayline ended up doing so well. Um, but I didn't see it coming, i got to say. When, when they made that pivot, when you guys made that pivot in 2005, were there detractors, were there folks within the group saying, no, don't do this, oh, this is bad, this is a terrible... Was there anybody who... Uh, turned yeah, against I, it? I didn't want to do it. I wow. mean, I, I wasn't at all interested. You know, look, normally, you know, um, I was Long Island correspondent at Channel 2, then I was a political reporter in Manhattan, um, then I came out here to Los Angeles, and I was a political reporter. I sort of, you know, when I joined Dayline, we were kind of like the cooler, faster 60 minutes. We were doing five stories an hour, unrelated some were funny, some were serious, some were investigative, some were profiles. I liked all of that. I didn't want to give it up. But there was no question that doing true crime was working, and it was also a way to talk about all kinds of issues that I did think were important, like relationship violence and the way the criminal justice system works and, and the, the sort of X factor of money and power and fame in, in, in the criminal justice system. You know, which is the thing that sort of O.J. opened the door to. So, look, I uh, I didn't want to do it, but I was wrong, and I'm glad uh, I'm glad I was wrong. Yeah, well, so was everyone else. I mean, it is uh, it's honestly it's one of the best shows on TV. You're a big reason why, Josh Mankiewicz here with me, Frank McKay. Thrilled to have him for a couple moments here, uh, Josh. Uh, you cover a lot of obviously just about everything you cover is dark. I mean, you're not you're not picking up puppies and and looking at baby contests and and things like this. this is very it's very dark stuff that you're you're dealing with. Obviously, yeah. you're a pro and you're probably immune to it at this point. But are there are there times where it, where it gets to you? Is, is there times where you you wake up in the middle of the night and say, "Wow, this is terrible. This is a terrible story." Well, this fortunately, is- I'm not actually losing sleep over this <laughs> yet. But, and I don't, I'm glad, because I like sleeping. But look, the stories that we hear, you know, the real responsibility of Dateline 
The tough part's not talking to the murderers. The tough part's talking to those families because they're describing to you the worst thing that they've ever been through. It's the thing that's going to change their life. And they're going to remember their life before that happened and then differently after it happened. That's a tremendous responsibility, and you're also speaking for the dead because in a lot of cases, this story isn't going to be all over the evening news for days and days and days. Like It, it might not get covered at all except on Dateline. So there's a lot of responsibility there. But, you know, when people are telling you those stories, they're frequently very upset. Sometimes they're crying. If you don't feel anything while that's happening, if you're immune to that, you need to get out of journalism. The journalism is all about feeling. It's not necessarily, you know, you've got to find some middle ground. You can't start breaking down crying when they break down crying. But you also can't, you know, feel nothing because, you know, journalism is about what people do and it's about how people feel. When you when you talk about speaking with the murderers, do you do you see any common? Uh, well, obviously, they, they have some common traits, but is there any one particular common trait that you see in all of these guys? I mean, and when I mean, you know, I, go, go ahead. Very often, you know, these are not. You know, we're not doing serial killers. We're not covering. You know, we don't cover a lot of sex crimes. We don't do stories in which kids are the victims. These are almost always the people that saw a way saw killing as a way out of a relationship that they didn't want to be in. And there's always something in the constellation of love, money, and pride that motivates them to do it. I don't love you, I love someone else. Um, You don't love me, you love someone else. That hurts my pride, I'm going to kill you. You're not going to divorce me and take half my money, I'm going to kill you instead. I mean, these these are... almost always crimes of passion in the sense that they're not committed in the, in the moment like a crime of passion, but there's always significant emotion involved. This is very rarely something that is just sort of, you know, bloodless. People are doing this because cause they're angry, because they have a plan. Those are the stories we do. Josh Mankiewicz, uh, thank you for being here. Congratulations on 29 years to everybody at Dateline. Give us a website or a social media site where people could follow along with what you're doing. I'm Josh Mankiewicz on Twitter, and Dateline NBC, NBC is part of the NBCNews.com website. Uh, Dateline's on tonight on uh, Channel 4 in New York on uh, at 9 o'clock um, tonight, Thursday, and then at 10 o'clock tomorrow night, Friday. Keep up the great work. Congratulations once again, Josh. Thank you very much. Once again, Frank McKay here. Josh Mankiewicz has been our very special guest. And, wow, I mean, just think about 29 years, Dateline NBC has been on. And in 2005, they turned to all true crime. And uh, and, and Josh admits he was against it. He was, uh, I, I didn't know. I had no idea when I asked him that was the case. But, I, you know, I, I was expecting him to say, yeah, there was some executives that were fighting against it and said it's a stupid idea because this and that. And it obviously it, uh, it worked. And they, you know, have to eat your words when, when you're against something that, that uh, worked out so incredibly. But 29 years these guys have been on. And uh, they are the longest running primetime show that NBC has. Again, primetime is the key word there because obviously the Tonight Show has been on forever. Saturday Night Live has been on forever, but they're at, at different uh, times than, uh, than primetime. And uh, Dateline NBC is, uh, is, you know, is the longest running show that NBC has. And it's saying an awful lot. I, I asked him about uh, the darkness. We've done here uh, the Lisk series about the 
you know, about the serial killings on Gilgo Beach. And uh, the reason I stopped, I used to do them every Wednesday, and a lot of people were like, why do you, you know, why do you stop? And people used to come up to me all the time. People still come up to me and ask me about that series. And we didn't stop for any other reason other than we, we ran out of guests. I mean, think about it. It's a limited a number of guests. I think we did 46 or, or 50 different shows. And then we just, I, I was reaching at some point and we started getting into other serial killers and other things. And it just, I, it, it was dark and I know people like it. I, I'm interested in it, you know, and doing it, but to me, it's very, very dark and you get, you, you really get this, uh, I don't know this, I, I don't want to call it bad karma, but you have this bad, uh, bad feeling while you're doing it because all you're talking about is death and uh, and murder and in that case the one we were talking about is the serial killing what he's doing what Josh Mankiewicz is doing and Dateline is doing it's you know usually uh, you know again like he he said it right out you know somebody uh, somebody's getting a big inheritance and uh, and and they're mad and they don't want to split it with their their spouse or they kill their spouse or something like that or the spouse is trying to uh, take advantage or they're having an affair and they're going to kill them and, and things like that. So, uh, again, that's, uh, you know, to me, it's uh, it's a very dark deal when you cover true crime, but it's it's terrific. And, you know, I'm ready to do more of it, to be honest with you. I'm, I, I'm envious of, of Josh that, uh, you know, he has his podcast, uh, Motive for uh, Murder, which is terrific. I mean, he's great at it. Uh, by the way, Long Lineage there, is, uh, his father wrote... Um, for uh, Robert F. Kennedy, and uh, and he was a, a big advisor to him. And then his grandfather wrote, uh, co-wrote Citizen Kane. And uh, the Mankiewicz family's uh, got to look and, and be very proud of what Josh has done. Josh Mankiewicz has been our very special guest. Dateline NBC is the show in its 29th season. Check it out, everyone. Frank McKay signing off. Josh Mankiewicz has been our very special guest. We'll see you next time on Breaking It Down. This is Breaking It Down with your host, Frank McKay, on 107.1 WLIRFM Hampton Bays. I'd like to welcome everyone to Breaking It Down. Frank McKay here with the creative force behind the new Netflix docuseries, and it is called uh, King of Revenge Porn, and it is, uh, it, it is about a mother's mission to, to get the king of revenge porn and Rob Miller is the award-winning director and he's the creative force behind the three-part docu-series The Most Hated Man on the Internet and it tells the story of this uh, this king of revenge one. Uh, it's uh, fascinating. Everyone, it's disturbing but I'll tell you what, Rob Miller uh, it, from all accounts uh, has done an incredible job. Everyone's got to watch it. Thrilled to bring Rob Miller uh, the man behind this uh, to you, Rob. How are you? I'm very well, thank you. I'm, you know, I'm very excited that you know people are going to get an opportunity to watch this important series. So hopefully, lots of people kind of will, will tune in and watch it and um, be affected by it. You know, you, you said important, and I was going to use the word important in in my description of it. Uh, it's important because so many different people, millions of people, are dealing with uh, with the effects of revenge porn, and it's not one of those subjects that's easy to talk about because once you bring it up, you're bringing light to the fact that you you have something out there, and obviously everyone's going to be curious and uh, and Google it. Uh, what kind of response did you get in making this? Did you get a 
lot of a lot of folks reaching out to you, telling them, uh, telling you their own story. So there were some, there were some, um, there were some people that did reach out to us. There were some people that we um, approached via the kind of heroin of our, our series, Charlotte Laws. Um, um, people that had been posted on this website is anyone com and. Um, had been terribly affected and, and had um, she had contacted when kind of doing her investigation, which she eventually handed over to the FBI. But you're absolutely right. I mean, you know, that's one of the, the kind of problems, challenges with, uh, you know, making a piece like this, that people wrongly who have been posted and been a victim of revenge porn feel the shame when really the shame should fall on the shoulders to whoever posted the the photo or provided the platform, um, in this case, Hunter Moore, for it to be kind of posted. And we're just so grateful that there were victims, um, incredibly kind of brave victims that kind of took, came forward and told their story in a very kind of powerful and profound way. And, you know, as I said, I'm looking forward to people being able to watch um, the, the, the series and, and to, you know, hear those voices because they're important voices. And, you know, they, they're, they're very infrequently heard and we, we should listen to them. Uh, Rob, I have a, a friend here in uh, on Long Island, uh, New York, who's a New York State senator, and uh, he was putting forward a bill to try to protect people on uh, on on the effects of of revenge porn, and it was very difficult for him to uh, to move forward on it because his colleagues, uh, male and female, were uh, didn't want to be attached to the word <laughs> revenge porn. Are there laws in place or different laws in place around the world and, and certainly around this country, the United States? Um, are there laws in place to protect people from such acts? Um, there are laws. At the time that the story was set, that, you know, revenge or so-called revenge for porn was, was, a, was a, you know, it, it was a kind of largely new, nasty kind of phenomenon. And there weren't laws. There weren't laws to kind of protect victims. And, um uh, you know, I, I, re- I mentioned Charlotte Laws, the kind of heroine of our story, and she, you know, after she um, managed to hold Hunter Moore accountable, she, you know, she kind of lobbied tirelessly to get laws um, put in place in um, uh, the majority of the states in the US, but there's still no federal law against the US. Uh, but, sorry, there's still no federal law against um, local revenge pornography, and, you know, that's something that I think. And I know Charlotte feels needs to be addressed, and um, you know, hopefully, our series will kind of contribute to that um, kind of legislation being passed to, to universally recognise that this is a terrible act, um, and to acknowledge the kind of pain of victims. You know, I, I think that's an incredibly important thing. Yeah, and, and again, you said important, and I, you know, I agree with you one whole, wholeheartedly on the on the term important. Uh, give us a little overview of the most hated man on the internet, and I mean the individual, and and of course the uh, the, the three part docu series. Sure. So um, you know, it's set in uh, the series is set in the early 2010s when kind of social media and the kind of technology that enabled social media, like camera camera phones, was kind of really in its infancy, and it it, it follows the story of a woman called Charlotte Laws whose daughter Kayla is posted as a, a her nude photo is posted on uh, this uh, notorious revenge porn website called um, is anyone by Hunter Moore who kind of referred to himself and rejoiced in the title of being a professional life ruiner and when Hunter refuses to take Kayla's photo down Charlotte who is a very kind of formidable lady you know t- 
goes on this, you know, extraordinary mission to not only get Kayla's photo down, but hold Hunter more accountable. And she's joined in that mission by a kind of diverse kind of band of of, of people. You know, there's a, a chap called James McGibney, who's a kind of former Marine turned internet vigilante. Uh, there's an investigative journalist. There's the FBI. And, um, you know, there's also the kind of collective anonymous who kind of joins the fight. So it's an amazing story. It, it, we're so fortunate to have all these contributors who told the story so brilliantly and care still so passionately about the issue. And, and you know, as you said, you've got this this issue of revenge pornography and online bullying, you know, at the heart of it, which, although the story is said 2010, I mean, you know, sadly is still relevant, perhaps even more relevant today than it was then. So, um, yeah, all those... Uh, all the ingredients for a kind of uh, an amazing and, and important watch. Is there anything that you learned uh, before or uh, right before, right as and during the making of this that uh, that surprised you? Uh, were there any uh, surprises uh, for you, any aha moments uh, during the production of this? I think it was just, it, it was... Um fact that, well, one, I mean, maybe I left quite a kind of sheltered and naive life. I'm a bit older. So, you know, I, you know, when I was 16, 17 years old or however old, you know, there weren't really uh, mobile phones, you know, you know, that, that kind of technology didn't, didn't exist. You know, you take pictures on a camera and then kind of go to a pharmacy and get it, get the photos developed. Um, so, you know, I was, it, it, I was aware of revenge porn. I was in that it was a kind of pretty insidious, um, nasty kind of activity. Um, I didn't know that there was a website that offered this service. Um, and, you know, what I found so shocking is that although the, you know, what Hunter was doing was kind of, you know, really, you know, as he as he says himself, kind of ruining people's lives, he had this amazing following. It was incredibly popular. He had um, people telling him, you know, you're a god hunter and, and putting him on this pedestal and hanging off his every, every word. And, you know, I, I, I found that quite, quite shocking and, 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 and frightening, I, I, you know, I have to say. But maybe I shouldn't be surprised, you know, we all have it in us, I guess. But there's need for revenge, the, you know, hurting other people, that's always been there. And when you combine that with technology and the Internet, it's a very kind of potent thing. Rob Miller, give us a website, a social media site that we could follow along with you and, and the series. Um, well, I think if you if you um, go to uh, go into Netflix, I think there'll be um, lots of you know there'll be lots of opportunity in terms of kind of social media. Um, you know, I the website was bought by an anti-bullying charity. Um, so if you did type in as anyone up to dot com, you learn a bit about that, and um, you know that's a very important thing. You know. Not just revenge pornography, bullying online. You know, as I said, these are things that are still happening. They're ubiquitous. People's lives are being destroyed, and the more we can learn and understand how it works and sympathise with victims, you know, the better for all of us. Bob Miller, congratulations on your on your finished work, and hopefully, we'll be speaking to you again. Thanks for being here. Thanks so much, Rob Miller, with us from uh, the UK. London, I believe, and he's the creative force behind the new Netflix docuseries that shows one mother's mission against the king of revenge porn and 
It is uh, it is called the most hated man on the internet, and you know you could imagine why. Uh, you know it's uh, revenge porn. I, yeah, obviously when uh, when I was growing up, we didn't have to worry about this because I mean in order to do uh, you know anything um, you know anything. Uh, uh, creative, or if you want to call it that, uh, with, uh, with with a, a sexual act that has to do with a camera, you need a, a camera. You know, like either a camera or a or a um, uh, you know film camera or something like that. So you know, nobody you know no, nobody had the access. Not that nobody had the access, but all, so many people didn't have the access. The ease. Uh, ease of of getting film done and you know when young people and by the way not just young people old people but i'm thinking teenagers um for sure uh, getting themselves involved with um with electronic media <coughs> social networking and uh and you know of course the internet uh with uh with smartphones guess what's going to happen right i mean so this uh, this has happened and revenge porn has become a uh, a real thing uh frank mckay here urging everyone to check out the new netflix docu-series frank mckay signing off we'll see you all next time on breaking it down this is breaking it down with your host frank mckay on 1071 wlirfm hampton bays i'd like to welcome everyone to breaking it down, Frank McKay here. Uh, absolutely thrilled to uh, have an author. Uh, he's the co-author of of Manhunters: How We Took Down Pablo Escobar, and he and Javier Pena uh, wrote this book. And boy, I, I mean, it's it's fascinating. It's uh, it's the basis. Well, they're the basis of uh, of Netflix uh, Narcos and and so many other things. So many characters are, are based on what these men have done uh, i i gotta think about the uh, 93 world series when joe carter hit that home run and the announcer said touch them all joe you'll never hit a bigger one than that and when you take down pablo es- escobar the king of cocaine uh boy you, you, i don't know where you go from there but steve murphy thrilled to have you how are you i'm good frank and thank you very much for having me on the show yeah well listen thrilled to have you and uh if you don't mind give us a little bit of your history uh, hope, hoping everybody goes out and buys the book. Where did you start out? Where were you born and raised? Well, I was I was born in Memphis, Tennessee. I grew up just south of Nashville in a place called Murfreesboro. But when I was in high school, my family, my mom and dad are from West Virginia. So we moved back to West Virginia. I went to high school and college there. I'm kind of a cross between a redneck and a hillbilly, which explains my accent <laughs> here. Yep. Um, joined, joined my first police department in 1975, a little town called Bluefield, West Virginia. 35-man department, did that six years, railroad police officer for five and a half years, and then joined DEA in 1987, stayed there until 93 when I retired. I mean, I'm sorry, 13, not 93. I I mean, when you say Murfreesboro, I think Civil War, you know, and, uh, you know, that's a historic town. But I also think small town. And can you imagine as a young man growing up around there, that you would ever come in contact with with someone, and again, some some accounts have Pablo Escobar at at sometimes making four hundred twenty million dollars a week, a week. <laughs> I, I mean, it's like it's unbelievable. I mean, how does a kid from Murfreesboro I, like even dream of something like this? I mean, what what were you thinking back then? Any chance of of hitting the big time like this? 
you know, never in a million years did I, did I dream anything like this would ever happen. And you talk about the amount of money that Pablo was making. That's almost as much money as a talk show host making. <laughs> yeah. yeah, something like that. Yeah. <laughs> Take a no, couple zeros away. And we're and you're right. I, I am a small town country boy. I'm okay with that. And my partner Javier, he grew up in a town in South Texas called Hebronville. That's even smaller than the town I grew up in in West Virginia. So both of us are just small town country boys. Yeah, I mean, what do you think of all the? You know, you see uh, Hank Schrader on uh, Breaking Bad, and I, I don't know if you watch these shows. I loved it. You know, and as a mm-hmm. layperson, you know, you find yourself cheering on the DEA. I mean, you know, these are the good guys. And you know you see there, you know all all the strength and all of the skill and the, and the courage they have. These guys are based on on folks like you and Javier. Uh, and if you know if you don't mind, I mean, what do you think of the portrayals of uh, of some of these? Are, are any of them at all realistic with any of the folks that you've worked with or yourself? Well, I love Breaking Bad because it, I think it really brought to light the problem with methamphetamine. The actors did a phenomenal job. Brian Cranston was unbelievable. Uh, the guy that played the DEA ASAC and his, uh, you know, I'm getting old. I just forgot his name as I mentioned it here. Yeah. Uh, I thought they did a fantastic job and they're, and they're bringing light to what's really going on, especially along our Southwest border. But like our show with Narco, we love uh, Boyd Holbrook played me and uh, Pedro Pascal played Javier and uh, Wagner Moore played Pablo Escobar, uh, a, a, a actress, um, Joanna Christie played my wife, Connie. Love every single one of them. I think they did a phenomenal job. I think especially Wagner Mora was fantastic in the way he played Escobar. He was able to capture the mannerisms. And you know what? We're watching the season two, and my wife and I are, are watching it. And when Escobar is out there with his dad on the ranch, now that's you know that's Hollywood, because if we knew he was out there at the ranch, we'd have gone out there and got him. Yeah. But I'm watching this, and all of a sudden I start feeling sorry for Pablo Escobar, and I'm thinking, what the heck is wrong with you, boy? <laughs> That means they're but doing that a was good the job. Quality of the actor. That was the quality of the actor. Wagner Moore just did a phenomenal job. Yeah. I, I mean, what can you tell us? Uh, it, well, it, without giving away the book, and, and again, let me remind everyone, uh, it's a memoir, and it's uh, it's called Manhunters, How We Took Down Pablo Escobar. It is a must-read. Buy two of them. Buy one for yourself, and then buy one. Uh, give it to your favorite uh, Breaking Bad fan. How about that? And uh, they're going to love it. It is a gripping book. It is getting rave reviews all over the place, and... And we have co-author Steve Murphy here, real life, uh, real, real live uh, DEA uh, special agent, and uh, just a heroic figure. They took down the biggest kingpin that you could uh, you could ever imagine, narco kingpin, the king of cocaine. They called him uh, Pablo Escobar. Uh, it, you know, if without giving away the book, uh, of course, we want everyone to read it and and so forth. What can you tell us about Escobar that uh, that we haven't heard out there? Either you know. Uh, you know, blow up a myth or, or, or confirm something that we have heard because he is, he's become a legend. Well, all the violence you've heard about is true. You know, he did put a bomb on an Avianca, a commercial airliner that killed 110 innocent people. He did blow up the uh, DOS building, which was the secret police building down there, killed over 100 people there. He did set off indiscriminate bombs everywhere that just killed innocent people who were simply in the wrong place at the wrong time. All of that's true. Now, one thing, and I don't remember if, because if, you know how the book goes back and forth between Javier and I, I don't remember if Javier put this in there, but Javier went on a raid one time where they uh, raided a cocaine lab out in the jungles of Columbia, and he found a sign hanging up in it, 
And we eventually learned that Pablo put this sign in every one of his cocaine labs. The sign says, if I catch you using the product, I will kill you. Signed Pablo Escobar. So it was okay for the Samaritans and the rest of the world to use cocaine, but he didn't want his workers out there, you know, taking any of the product. Amazing. Amazing. Uh, His hometown in Columbia, everything I've ever heard about is that uh, that he's he's a folk legend there and everyone loved him. Uh, Is that true? Is it uh, do do they realize the the pain and suffering he caused to the rest of the world outside of uh, that, uh, you know, that hometown of his? Um, Is it true that he was a, a folk hero there? Well, in Medellin, he's a folk hero in just certain parts. So this is one of the cool things that, that my wife and I really found about Colombia that we still love. I love the country. I, I mean, it's a special place for us. You know, our two daughters are Colombian. We adopted them from Colombia, and they're, you know, they're growing up having their own families now. So Colombia is always going to be a special place for us. But in Medellin, there's barrios where Pablo is still a hero. But the vast majority of hardworking, honest Colombians, they're not proud of what Escobar did to their country. They're not proud of the stigma that he left them with. You know, I was guilty of this when I first moved to Columbia. I stereotyped all the Colombians into thinking everybody down here is a drug trafficker. What I found out is they're some of the nicest, most accepting people in the world. Now, if you go down there like the ugly American, they'll tell you real quick where the plane is and you can get back on it. Yeah. But if you go down and try to accept their culture and get along with them and try to use the Spanish you know, you won't find a nicer group of people anywhere in the world. I just I really do love that country. Let me, uh, again, remind everyone, Manhunter's how we took down Pablo Escobar is the name of the book. Uh, the co-author Steve Murphy is here with us today. It, it is an absolute must-buy, and it is uh, it is just a gripping tale of. Uh, well, it, 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 the title explains it all. But Pablo Escobar and just an amazing job by these guys in, in real life. Uh, we got about a minute left with you, Steve. Uh, if you can give us a, give us a website, a social media site, or whatever you have that people can follow along with your career and what's going on with you. Oh, that's great. Thank you, Frank. If you want to find out more about us, go to www.deanarcos.com. That's D-E-A-N-A-R-C-O-S.com. We have a calendar on there that shows when and where we'll be around the world, where we're speaking. Uh, there's fan photos. There's information about us. And now that the book is out, you can actually order the books from, through our website directly from us. And uh, if you do that, we're happy to autograph them and even personalize them to, to whoever they, uh, you know, whoever you want it to go to. On social media, we're on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, Vimeo, YouTube, and LinkedIn, all at DEA Narcos. Well, listen, I want to I want to congratulate you not only on the book and it's a it's it's a raving success and it's going to it's going to be a classic. Uh, it's an instant classic already. But I, congratulations on just an incredible life and career and congratulate your, your family because, you know, we, we all know you don't do it alone. And your, your wife was uh, uh, there in the background and uh, boy, it had to be uh, stressful every day. Uh, that she had to uh, deal with you out there and everything else. But listen, congratulations for everything, and thank you very much for being here. Thank you, Frank. I really appreciate you mentioning my wife, too. She's the toughest woman I ever met. Love her to death. Way to go. Steve, thanks again. My pleasure. Steve Murphy, everyone, DEA agent, special agent Steve Murphy. The name of the book is Manhunters, How We Took Down Pablo Escobar, and he and his, his partner, Javier Pena, uh, is uh, you know all the authors of this book and it's a, it, it, a big big success right now 
and and go to his website, follow him, uh, the narcokingpin.com, I believe he said. And uh, just uh, what a what a career this guy had. And again, uh, you know, I go back to that that call in uh, in in the World Series, ninety three World Series. Joe Carter hits a home run and ends the World Series. And the announcer said, "Touch them all, Joe. You'll never hit a bigger one than that." And I, yeah, if you're a DEA agent and you take down Pablo Escobar, I don't know what what else uh, to say. Uh, touch them all, and uh, you'll never get a bigger one than that. And again, they're the the. Uh, inspiration and the you know the uh, the role models for uh, for Netflix Narcos which is excellent it's uh, it's just terrific but again get the book it is called Manhunters how we took down Pablo Escobar Steve Murphy has been our very special guest Frank McKay signing off we'll see you next time on Breaking It Down This is Breaking It Down with your host Frank McKay on 1071 WLIRFM Hampton Bays